Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Break It Down for Brackens podcast. Today, I talked to an old friend of mine named Rita Collins. She lives in Queens, New York, and I wanted to see how different was her quarantine experience from what we have here in Jefferson County. How much more intense, I imagine it's so much more intense, but let's see what Rita has to say. Okay. Rita, thank you so much for being on the Break It Down for Brackens podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Kevin. Thank you for inviting me. Nice. So a little bit of background, and I probably mentioned this in the um, intro. Rita and I met each other. I don't even want to say what year it was because I don't actually know. It might have been 06. It might have been 08. Um, <laughs> My phone keeps, my camera keeps dropping. Uh, but literally, we both worked in um, a New York sports club, and you were probably one of the head trainers or one of the most experienced trainers at that time in that gym. You definitely had your chip together. And I came in as doe-eyed new trainer. I'd had one trainer job before that. I was just happy to have a job, and I'd gone so long unemployed. I was just really stoked to get in there. But it wasn't necessarily a good fit for me, so I was only in the gym that you worked in for three days before I went to another gym. And then literally that was the last time I ever saw you. It was like 11 or 12 years ago and three days, but somehow the Facebook algorithms put us together as people you might know. And I probably friended you or you friended me. And then I guess because of our fitness backgrounds, it's kept us in the same parallel updates. So that's how we're still connected. Yeah, yeah. It blows my mind that we only knew each other for three days because I feel like I know you so much better than that. Like at least a couple of weeks we must have worked together. I, yeah, yeah. you know, and you must have made a strong impression on me because I, like you're a funny guy. I liked your personality. You had a great sense of humor. Yeah. Well, thank three you. Three days. <laughs> so, so Rita lives in Queens and during this COVID-19 coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, she is in living in the hive of the upbreak uh, of the outbreak. And what I wanted to share with people was, you know, here in West Virginia, we don't have an enormous, enormous, enormous outbreak. We've had deaths and we've had hundreds of people infected, uh, thousands of people who thought they were infected that weren't infected. And by no means do I have any data on this thing, but I think on this day, April 17th, I believe my county, Jefferson County, has somewhere in a range of 50 or more. Um, you have like more than that probably living on your block, or I'm saying more people just live on your block in such a condensed area. Um, so that's why we're having this podcast. But before we jump into that topic, I, let's, let's talk about your background, Rita. Tell us about you, where you're from, where you grew up, your family, what you do professionally, stuff like that. Sure. Um, I grew up in Maine in a really small town up on a mountain. Um, which town? I moved to which town? Bingham, Maine. Barely Bingham on. Cool. It's like less than a thousand people live there. It's probably like your town. I used to summer in York. Oh, really? Okay. Not that, right. right? Crazy. So go ahead. So uh, I moved to New York when I was 20 and um, bounced around and did different things. I went to college late. I studied political science. <laughs> okay. Didn't finish. And, uh, and I went to Hunter College in the city. 
Okay. And uh, along the way, I mean, I was a powerlifter in high school, so I wasn't a, like a stranger to the gym and I really loved it. I had such a passion for it, but I didn't know how to work in that realm. And so I was working in corporate America and- Hold on, Rita. Started- so how do you end up on the path of um, powerlifting? How, what inspired you there? Terminator 2. Really? You remember Linda Linda Hamilton and that? She was like jacked. I saw that movie and I was like, I want to look like that. And I never got there, but I went into, we had a powerlifting team. And so I like sheepishly went into the, uh, into the gym and I told the coach that I wanted to start powerlifting. And he said, Rita, this is not body beautiful. Cause I was like the girly girl, the former cheerleader. And I was like, I can handle it. And so I, I joined the team and I competed and I, you know, won a few regional competitions and I, I uh, went to States and that was my senior year. And after I graduated, I didn't, I didn't have that community anymore. So I kind of lost it for a while. Mm-hmm. So way forward, I was working in corporate America in New York City and I, I was a member of the gym that we worked at. And I made friends with all of the trainers there. And I would spend like three hours a day working out. And they said, you know, you really are passionate about this. You should become a trainer. And they st- a couple of them really mentored me and showed me how to, how to get where I wanted to be. And, uh, and that's how I kind of got into that. How long were you a trainer at New York Sports Club? Six years. Six years? Six years. And then yeah. how did you transfer out of that? Where'd you go after... So well, you got, I, you a baby. that was the big thing. But before I had the baby, I, um, I went to Reebok Sports Club, which is now a, an Equinox like flag, flagship um, gym. It's beautiful. Um, but then it was, it was uh, Reebok New York or something like that. And I, I moved there because I, I, I had gone so far with New York Sports Club and I was, I was more the the mentor than the mentee. And I wanted someone to help foster me and help me grow. I felt like I'd gotten very stagnant where I was. And so they were offering that at Reebok. So I went there and I was with them for nine, I think nine months, maybe longer. Yeah, probably about nine months, but that's where I met my husband was at Reebok. Okay. Yeah. And so we, um, we started dating and we decided to start a family and about five months in, I, I took my leave of absence and then I never went back to New York sports club or Reebok. I just took a really long break. Okay. Nice. <laughs> so what do you, what do you do now? Uh, so I do a little bit of everything. I, I teach yoga a couple times a week. I teach Kundalini yoga, which is really about, um, when people ask me what it is, I say it's about building your your capacity to act, not react. So um, it strengthens your nervous system. Uh, use a lot of pranayama to develop en- energy, and then there's a very strong meditative component. And that's where I tie in like breathing and meditation, and really just being able to control your thoughts. Okay. And, so. Let's get to some juicy stuff then. The um, describe your neighborhood. You know, I, I'm 
I'm sure anybody okay. who hasn't really been to Queens or maybe has just seen it on TV, they probably just have this crazy idea of what the city's like, but tell us, try to give us a good description of what your neighborhood's like. Okay, yeah, so when I say I live in New York City, people have that, that thought of like the skyscrapers in Manhattan and that's not where I live. So I live in um, Bayside, Queens, which is probably the, I think, yeah, it's the last neighborhood before you get into Long Island. So we're very suburban. Um, it's mostly single family houses around here. Where I live is not a single family house, it's a three person house. So I have neighbors below me, neighbors above me. Um, but it's a pretty affluent neighborhood. It's, uh, yeah, not a lot of, there's like one strip of Bell, called Bell Boulevard where there's restaurants and bars and stuff. But other than that, it's pretty quiet. There's not bustling and a lot of foot traffic and stuff like that or? Only on Bell, yeah. If okay. you're, yeah, when you're when you're like roaming around in the streets, you won't see a lot of people just in the neighborhood. So when the um, when the governors or the mayor started to, or you started to hear about this sort of thing on the news, how did you really process the severity of it early on? So, I didn't, and in fact, we were talking about about this outbreak in my other job. So another job that I do is dog grooming, and and. The head groomer there, uh, he he was really nervous about it, and he kept showing me things on his phone about China and how it was spreading in China and, and how they thought it started. And he's like, "It's coming here, it's coming here," and I didn't really respond to him. I was like, eh, "It's probably hype." Right. And then, um, and then it did start here, and it I I took it seriously really early on. And the reason being is one of my clients goes to, her daughter goes to school with the Westchester man. Do you know the, about the Westchester man? No. That's how the story broke here. There was a guy in Westchester who had coronavirus. So he was kind of like our patient zero here. Right. And from there, it kind of like spread. Probably many, many, many more people had it, but that's where they started tracking him. And he lived in New Rochelle, and they did end up locking down his, that town. They did a one-mile radius wow. so that people wouldn't leave their homes. Yeah, they had to shut down like um, religious services. They, yeah, I guess they had the National Guard. I didn't, I wasn't witness to any of that. But um, his daughter went to school with my client's daughter, and their school was closed because of COVID contamination. So really early on, I was like, okay, I'm not what, training what people in person. <laughs> What's that? What school was that? I don't know the name of it off the top of my head. It was in the Bronx. It was, was it a, a college or? No, it was a, a private high school, a Jewish oh, okay. high school. Okay. Yeah. Do you know in the background, had that guy traveled before? Had he been overseas? I, I'm not sure how he got it. I, I think that they've written about it, but I've read so many cases at this point. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't remember, but it was very close. That was like one degree of separation for me. So right. I started scaling back, um, teaching people in person. That was before they closed the gyms. Right. And uh, on March 8th, I took my daughter. We wanted to go to this uh, museum um, exhibition. And so I, uh, we were being kind of flip about it and she got dressed up in a costume because she likes to cosplay. And we took the Long Island Railroad and we took the subway and we went to this, this museum. And 
it was pretty quiet. It was a nice day in the city that day anyway, so the trains weren't that busy, but I think people already were kind of being careful. That was okay. March 8th. And uh, after that, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going out. After that, it started getting really serious for me. So that was our last big outing. Um, you know, from my point of view, I did a race like very early March, and I flew to flew to Miami for that. You know, yeah, people, I saw already, that. yeah people are already talking about how. It was on it was on the East Coast. There's that cat I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, how it was on Easy Killer. Easy now. It was on the East Coast where um or the West Coast rather, where they were seeing more kind of more flare-ups and whatnot. And I remember thinking, okay, don't touch anything in the airport. Don't touch the handrails, don't touch buttons, get through security, wash your hands, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then and I did really good. I managed to almost touch nothing the entire time I was there. And then I saw three people individually wearing masks inappropriately. They weren't even wearing the mask the right way. So I kind of was like, you know, how serious are people taking this? But then I sat next to somebody who had this cough, like this little like, <laughs> and I'm like, and I mean, I was sitting right next to this lady. Oh, I, was like, yeah. I was like, well, and then again, I wasn't taking it wicked serious because at that time they were saying, well, if you're healthy, you'll be okay. And it's only affecting people who have serious, um, that was back when it was only people who had, were immune compromised. And, and I was able to, I was able to leverage that. I'm like, I'm fit, I'm fit, I'll be fine. If I catch it and I have a cold, fine. Even if it's severe, it, I'll get through this. <clears throat> Clearly now everybody has far more um, data on how bad it is. So <clears throat> the you are messing up every camera angle cat, every single one. Thank you. So um, and then f being there at a big race with thousands of people, that additionally was not nerve-wracking because we're outdoors, but like having dinner. I went to like some swanky Coral Gables or something, which is a real nice place in Miami, and lots of people, everybody's out dining. Like it wasn't affecting anybody, it seemed like. So I was I'm just traveling. The very next weekend, um, that was in late February, the very next weekend was a massive party in Alex, Old Town Alexandria. It was a very early St. Patrick's Day thing. We were out from 10 in the morning until 3 in the morning, like just partying our faces off with thousands of people again in very busy bars, thinking, you know, the bars aren't as busy this year as they were last year. And that was kind of my first sign that people were kind of toning back a little bit too. Yeah. But again, that was in D.C. And, and that's fine. But what was interesting is one of the bars we were in put out a message on social media saying, hey, if you were in the bar on St. Patrick's Day, it's a strong possibility you were in contact with somebody who had it because they became sick and notified us that they were here on this particular day. And um, that's pretty freaky, but that was two weeks later. And nobody who was with me came down with anything on that also. But again. Being, being in New York City, the opportunity with trains and railroads and elevators and how close the workspace is in corporate America, even seeing your neighbors checking the mail or whatever, it's got to be really daunting to navigate that. You know, I mean, explain how, how does that work? Does he look, do you look at everybody like they're suspect or? Um, well, so 
some some like places handle it better than others and since i am in suburban queens i tend to drive more than take take i mean i'm not taking the train into the city for anything and all of my work is here in my neighborhood so i'm lucky in that regard so public transportation hasn't been a problem but some stores are difficult to navigate if i have to go grocery shopping so this morning i uh i ran into my local little um grocery store and everybody's wearing masks now they they make you wear a mask to go in to anything so if you want to go into a laundromat or go into a store you have to have a mask on uh so that's the good thing everybody's wearing masks but it's it's this little tiny store and you can't navigate it without like passing right next to people there's just no personal space so i think that you know the only way to deal with that is keep it to a minimum keep going out to a minimum um yesterday right, I did you, my laundry. then you kind of want to bulk buy because yeah. you don't want to go back that many times and then yeah. people look at you sideways because you're bulk buying yeah. you know what can, what can you do i I saved up my laundry for th three weeks because I, I live in an apartment. I have to go to a laundromat. And again, you tend to be very close to people in a laundromat. If someone's using, using the washer next to you, you're breathing the same air. <laughs> right, absolutely. So mask or no mask, like you're really very close to each other. So I'm just trying to limit how much I go out. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think back to when I lived up there and what we would do um, for um groceries and we had i was over in jersey city so we had a little bit bigger um stores that we were able to go to but the um up there going to the, the small stores it's got to be a, an incredible challenge out here in the country where i am the um there are lines outside the grocery stores and they limit how many people are allowed to be in a particular amount of square footage so i believe it's only two that in my county it's only two people allowed for every 1,000 square feet of floor space of the building you're in. So what they're doing is they're letting in 30 shoppers spaced out. And from what I understand, I haven't been there, but from what I understand at Martin's, which is one of our larger grocery stores, you then have to follow a particular path through the store down every aisle. And they've marked it and they've roped it off. So it's all one-way traffic. And then there's a huge line of people outside with baskets waiting for their turn to go in. That's really crazy. Um, but That's they're, really they're, smart though. They're, I yeah. haven't seen anything that organized here. Who, I mean, I can't imagine trying to guide a county, much less try to guide New York City or even just one borough with those sort of rules and stipulations. And then what size store justifies it versus which one doesn't? Have you haven't seen them limiting how many people can go into a space there at all or so um in my neighborhood no they are not they we kind of do what we want here like there are the rules of wearing a mask right uh but there were no limits to how many people could be in that laundromat and no one was policing how close people were to each other uh grocery stores they do have it marked off when you go to line up to check out, they have six feet markers. But the rest of the store, you can kind of just go wherever you want. So again, you're passing very close to people and 
we're New Yorkers, we're impatient, so we're gonna, you know, we'll take that chance of like going face to face just to get to what we need to get to. Uh, right. If you go out, I went out last week, I went further east because my in-laws live in Long Island and I'm kind of their person who ventures out and does, um, I do the shopping for them and so they don't have to leave. And so I was out in, in their neighborhood and it's definitely way more organized out there. They are limiting how many people can go into a store at a time. But again, once you're inside, it's a free for all. Right. So um, what else has proven challenging that you would think would be unique to a large city like New York? That's a good question. Um, I mean, Honestly, I, I, I don't really know because I feel like those are the big challenges is just trying to get out and get food and get, uh, you know, do laundry if you have to or whatever it is that you have to leave the house for. Other than that, most of us are staying at home, not allowed to go to work. I go, I go to work because I work in studios where I'm the only one there. So I do leave my house to do my work. Um, but other than that, you're not really allowed unless you're essential to leave, to go to work. So people are gotcha. just staying home. It's not like, it's, I was thinking this morning about the terminology people are using and I feel like you have to be careful about it because it is, Cuomo doesn't even want to call it shelter in place. It's a uh, social distancing. He's still calling it that um, because shelter in place means something. And then you hear other people, you know, saying quarantine and lockdown and, it's none of that. No one's, no one's telling you to go home if you're walking down the street. There's no social governing, I guess. No one's encouraging you. Or like I know in Maryland, you have to wear a mask anywhere you go now. That came down in the last couple of days. Like anywhere you're at, you, 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 can, you won't be allowed into a place of business if you don't have a mask. Yeah, we have that. We have that. You can't, you can't get into any stores without one. Um, and I think that's new. I think that just, that just started. Did you notice anything where your neighbors or the community began to really embrace the quarantine or the social distancing? Like, was there a certain, like, I guess when you have, you have patient zero and then Overnight, you probably have 100 people thinking they might have it the next day. And then beyond that, they're probably infecting two or three people, especially if they kept going to work, you know, the way people are crammed on the subway and stuff like that. Do, do you feel like there was a point when the numbers hit a level at the city was like, everybody was like, okay, we are stopping all this? Well, the stay at home, um suggestion or you know what have you with the social distancing and before ours really so we were we did try to get ahead of that um so i think people were taking it seriously before the numbers got really bad because they they did get really bad after i started staying at home after my kids schools were closed um we just kind of knew it was coming from seeing you know looking at what happened in italy um, I think that things were, were getting bad in Louisiana before here because they had Mardi Gras. Um, oh, so yeah. we were trying to get ahead of that. Wow. 
Yeah, I didn't think about that. Um, understanding that your neighborhood is a little bit different, have you been hearing or is it, is, I heard something on like NPR or something like that where it was an interview with an EMS person, you know, one of the drivers or one of the actual medics and they said that they, in one day recently, they had more calls than they had on 9-11 and they had everybody working every hour possible and they still had 270 calls they weren't able to answer by midnight. Unbelievable. I mean, it is believable. It's, uh, the, the numbers of people who are ill are, are very high. And um, I think it started to, to really plateau for, we've had like several days, although I haven't looked in the last couple of days, but when I was looking, it looked like we started to plateau. But um, I mean, I, I heard a, a similar um, interview also on NPR with a, a doctor in, I think Elmhurst Hospital, which is one of the busiest hospitals is here in Queens. And that's their biggest challenge is they're understaffed. It's not about having enough beds or even ventilators. It's, they don't have people to take care of people who are ill. So I, it, I can see how that would extend to EMS. Um, I, yeah. In my neighborhood, there's this little circle where I walk my dog. And I was down there the other day and there's always one uh, FDNY uh, uh, ambulance down there. And I was walking down there with my dog and there was two parked. And I, like, that was just different. Like, obviously there's more of a need. And then this morning when I went to my grocery store, there was a, right next door, there's a diner with this big parking lot and the diner's closed so everybody parks there. And there were five FDNY ambulances, like emergency response units there. So um, obviously the demand's higher. Uh, we hear a lot more sirens throughout the day. And again, this neighborhood's pretty quiet. We don't have any hospitals here, but I have um, read about, you know, people in other neighborhoods in Brooklyn where they're just, that's all you hear all day are sirens. So. Do you have any friends that have been directly uh, affected by it? Uh, I know people who have lost people. Uh, thank God I, I haven't. I do know a couple of people who uh, have tested positive and they're doing well. They're, they're getting through it and it's just like a, a waiting game. You have to be patient and be in the moment. Um, so yeah, it's real. It's very real. Yeah, the, um, I can't remember what the word is. It's just like social tracing or something like that. I think that's what it was called where you know you you have to quarantine yourself for 2 weeks but you also are being held accountable for what you did in the last 2 weeks so exactly you can sit in the house for 2 weeks by yourself and know that you're good i'm good as long as i don't see anybody who's been outside of the house but like i go to work every day because painters are essential we have work we have to get done um and my workers that I work with, I don't know where they've been. So we all wear masks the entire time. And we stay six feet or more away from each other as much as possible with the masks on. And then, you know, anytime I go into a 7-Eleven to get whatever, a coffee or lunch or whatever on the job site, you know, I'm using gloves and I'm using my mask and I'm practicing everything I can. But it's so weird that 
I can now calculate who I've seen over a two week period. I can kind of go back looking at my calendar, knowing where I was and the limited amount of socializing I had. I can tell who I was around. Um, but I bring that home to Jenny every day and she's at home most of the day besides when she goes for her run. Um, but you're being account held accountable for what you did up to two weeks ago and maybe even longer. I can't imagine trying to calculate social tracing in New York City when, especially in that first two weeks when it was really flaring up. I mean, it's just, oh yeah. and you have to stay literally alone in your house without anybody who leaves the house or you're risking, you're risking it. So that's, that's gotta be, it's gotta be pretty crazy up there too. It's um, well, I think here they've, they've dispensed with, with trying to trace socially who you've been around. It, I think that that proved to be impossible because right. you can even, even myself, I don't go out that much, but I was in a grocery store and I was within six feet of at least 10 people as I navigated that grocery store, you know? So, so there, there's people are being pretty polite to each other is what you're telling me also. Yeah, I would say that they are. I would say that they are. And I, personally, really I personally have yelled at three people for being too close to me or too close to my workers. Like oh, I, really? I've yelled at them and I, you know, what are you doing? Are you trying to catch what he's got or is he trying to give him something? You know, I, I, and, and I'm selfish because I see it if I have a guy who's down, that's one more staff member who's out for quarantine. I have jobs that have to get done. So some random customer or stranger walks up and starts talking to my painter. I'm like, get him, get away from us. We're wearing yeah. masks, you know, but still. What do you think the uh, the future is going to look like? I mean, New York City is a special kind of microcosm, but do you think there's going to be back to watching big football games and baseball games and kids' sports and all that sort of stuff? you think it's going to really flow back easily? No, I don't. I feel like, um, you know, already uh, yesterday they set our, our, like, unpaused date back two weeks, so now we're May 15th. We we're going to stay in this kind of social distancing, um, you know, space. Uh, they have already, this is coming from my husband, so I didn't see the news, but he was saying that they've already talked about closing um, the New York City beaches and public pools for the summer. So I don't think that it's going to just, you know, one day we're going to be outside and, you know, singing the hills are alive with the sound of music. <laughs> right. I think it's going to take a long time. Um, and for me, I feel like uh, that's fine as long as we can stop the spread, you know, we can slow it down. You ever wonder why it, they're not taking it that serious for like flu or maybe back when SARS was out? Like, I don't feel like it was the same sort of urgency. I, I agree. I agree. But when you, uh, I, I was reading an article on SARS versus COVID and um, I wish I could remember where it was because I'm going to quote it, but it said 700 people died globally from SARS. Yeah. Remember how big of a deal that was? 700 people. I mean. It was only 700 people? That's, that's what I read. Yeah, I could be wrong, but. I thought I thought it was I thought it was much bigger, um, but still, it's 
with the flu. You know, the thing is, everybody's just tossed all these jumbled numbers. You don't know how the data is set. You don't know where they're getting their numbers from or how it's being reported or what the agenda of the person reporting it is. That's one of the hardest things is not knowing. You know, with the uh, being a small business owner, there's additional, it's compounded with this whole SBA loans and paycheck protection uh, acts that are being passed. And, under, and literally two weeks ago, as this was unrolling, they would say what it was, and then the next day they would change what it was, and the next day they would change it again. But they kept telling people stuff, and it kept being spread around. And by the time it actually came out, it was very easy to apply for the things I had to apply for. And if I was, if I timed it correctly, I'd make it in the window while there was still money and stuff like that. But I mean, it was a part-time job keeping up with the future benefits for my staff and for my business. But that on top of not knowing what the legit facts are and stuff like that has been really challenging as a business owner. And then having a lot of my clients delay jobs or postpone them indefinitely or just cancel has been, it's been pretty tough, but I just I wanted to talk to you because you're in, you're in the, you're in the center of, of where it's, it's all where it seems to be by the news, the most serious location. Um, so what are you doing to cope? You know, like you got to teach your kids homeschooling or whatever, or distant learning. How's that going? It's, yeah, it's remote learning is challenging because um, when you homeschool, because I have homeschooled my kids before, and when you homeschool, it's different because you get to set the hours and you get to set the curriculum and you can make it fun and do whatever you want. As long as you get in the hours and they learn what they need to for that year, you're good. But we're still working with our school's curriculum, which is a good curriculum, but it's difficult because they, they designate what we're working on each day and we have to log in and answer a question and, and submit things on time and some days it's just not going to happen today is a day i didn't do homeschooling because i got up and i taught my yoga class and then i groomed a dog <laughs> so like i'm kind of all over the place and i didn't have time to to sit down and maybe we'll do it tonight but now anything that i submit will be you know late but you just kind of. How old are your kids? Yeah. They're seven and nine. Wow. And then, like, if you turn in your homework late, I don't see the repercussions being as severe as if you were actually in class having to answer for it. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I honestly don't know how they're. Like, I know one teacher is still being very strict about it. I think everybody else is kind of giving a lot of leeway and I asked early on from them you know like some days it works and some days it doesn't and we'll be patient with you and you be patient with us and hopefully we'll get it all done at some point right well what's, what's interesting because we had a, a, a short preliminary conversation but what's interesting is is your quarantine seems the same as my quarantine you know like my wife has been working at home for almost a month now but she, she kind of saw things coming and she had the ability to kind of get set up working from home. And I didn't want to get quarantined and find out that we weren't essential. Unfortunately, through looking at the language of the governor's 
order, I was deemed essential. So I was able to keep my guys working, but that's great. It doesn't sound much different. I mean, we also struggle with the groceries in that, um, like right now we're out of snacks. I mean, all I want is a snack and we literally, <laughs> got, I got steaks. I got steaks right there ready to go. I got some brisket I cook. So I'm actually eating wicked healthy. Some grilling and I'm cooking on my own. Like it's really great. Um, but I'm missing the chips and I'm missing the granola bars and I'm missing crackers for cheese and crackers. And I'm like, yeah. But it sounds like it's the same thing you're going through. And I don't want to go to my grocery store because I'm be paying the butt standing outside and waiting my turn. I don't like doing lines. I'm up with you like that. Yep. Yeah. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Yeah. And I'm like, is it worth, is it worth the risk to go out for Doritos? You know? Oh my God. Right. And then when you say it like that, <laughs> is it worth the risk? God. I mean, I'm hungry, I know. so it's, it's worth something. I'm hungry, but <laughs> the um, but like in my in my town, you know, it's eight in the morning during a normal heavy commute when there's plenty of cars and I can't find a parking spot downtown to even get a breakfast biscuit or something. The uh, right now it's empty. There's nobody out there, and the farther we get into the quarantine, the less and less people are out. But it, it's it's not like like we. We've even had our rumors down here where, like, they're stopping people at the border, finding them, and sending them back. I was like, what? That, that can't be true. And that sounds like really severe things. And that trying to be a fake rumor, you know? You know, we heard that yeah. they were pulling people over randomly and checking for your papers. Are you an essential person? Do you have proof? And that wasn't true either. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are the rumors floating around my communities. Did you guys have any of that sort of rumor mill happening up there in New York where you heard something that turned to be totally not true? So uh, again, when they first um, announced that they were gonna start closing non-essential businesses, um, there were rumors that they were, they were calling in the National Guard and you know, because that had happened in Westchester. Um, but I don't think that they were enforcing I don't think they were using brute force. They were just telling people to stay home. And so they, some people expected that to happen here and it just didn't, you know, and why waste the resources? Most of us are just like, okay, we'll stay home. <laughs> you know, nothing's open anyway. So where are you going to go? You know, and everybody wants to try to blame somebody and everybody wants to, you know, beat up people who are in charge for the decisions they're making. And, my podcast sometimes has the opportunity to interview people who are running for office. And I want to start asking them a question to make a point, right? Okay. You're going to win all, you're going to win your position. And let's say this time next year, you're in office. I'm giving you a heads up right now. An asteroid is going to hit Kansas and it's going to bust up the whole country. What is your plan? There's, there's no way in, nobody, nobody can answer that. So the same sort of thing, right. there's going to be a pandemic that's going to be very serious where you are and currently not very serious where I am. Like we're not overrunning our hospitals. The ambulances, I don't, I don't, I don't even hear them. And because there's less vehicle traffic and I'm one street away from the main drag, I don't actually even, I hear them and I'm like, oh, must be a, a car accident or a fire or something. But it's never, you never hear that rumor of, oh, your neighbor got it. You know, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. There's, there's many degrees of separation, it seems like, at least for me at this point, of who's gotten it. Um, but I don't think there's any, there was any way, there's, there was no way anybody could have prepared to have 
the economy get pummeled significantly more where you are, but probably equally the same based on per capita as we're getting hit down here. I mean, it's, it's not quite ugly yet, but up there, I feel like the effects of people passing away and the effects of people who actually are sick is just so much more in your face. Would you agree with that? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that you come into contact with someone each day who is being affected in some way directly by it, either by losing people or losing, you know, 401k money, losing, everybody's losing something, you know, and. Yeah, it's across the board. Every business, yeah. every industry is getting its butt kicked because either your employees aren't coming in or there's no childcare to watch your kids so you can go to work if you could. Then if you ride with somebody or carpool and you don't have a car and you're the person who would drive doesn't have childcare so they can't drive or because they've been quarantined because they thought they were sick, they can't drive. That means they can't get to work either. And it just, it, it's been unfolding all the way deeper and deeper and deeper in the economy. Yeah. It's crazy up here from, from my point of view. Um, we got off topic though. We were talking about ways that you, you're coping. Oh, so, coping. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, exercise. We've been doing a lot of exercise. Um, movies, family time, you know, just trying to keep in the present moment with the family and Sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're not, but it's a lot of card game playing, video game playing. Um, yeah. I do yoga. Yeah. My, my, friend, <laughs> my friend, Dr. Lynn O'Connell, <clears throat> she's a family therapist and she's been on the podcast a couple of times. She actually has a coping with, um, coping for crisis podcast that we put out together and one of the things she talks about I found really interesting was when we're out in our day-to-day -day life during normal times, you know, we're taking selfies, we're taking pictures of the things we're doing and we're putting it on social media and it's all like, you know, we're, we're, we're documenting how our life is going. And she says, what's really interesting about this is that nobody's taking pictures inside their own house. Nobody's taking selfies of their home and what they're doing while they're sitting at home because they're, um, it's not a unique situation. It's not like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's not, it's not a novel experience because you're at the park and your kid was on a swing for the first time, you know? Right. She was saying what a great way to cope would be to actually scrapbook or find, like build an album of daily things you've done at home so you can say 10 years from now, look back. Remember when we were under lockdown for three months and when we were, we were social distancing? I mean, what she says is, is that it'll be a shame if we don't actually document what it was like for our kids in the future to, to see what it was like. So that's something to consider is figuring a way out a way to, to document. And that's kind of what I'm doing with this podcast, but I mean, talking to people how they're dealing with it. Yeah. So, so check out that podcast with uh, Lynn O'Connell if you ever have time. Yeah, um, for sure. Tell me about your... Um, I saw you had like a breathing clinic or a breathing program you took people through on Facebook. What's that about? Yeah, so when when they first, you know, kind of closed down schools and closed down businesses, uh, people, they didn't really know what to do. There was a lot of high anxiety. And, um, 
you know, actually it came up through talking with, I was talking with my, my boss from the fitness studio and we were trying to figure out ways to um, just serve our members in general uh, without having them in the studio. And we came up with some classes that we could teach. And I said, you know what, I want to, Seva is a big part of being a yogi. Seva is just doing, doing service for your, for your community. And I said, I would like to just start, you know, once a week, getting online and doing a lot of Facebook Live so it's accessible to anybody, um, taking them through a, a, breath, a breathing, um, a, a breath workshop, I guess is what you'd call it, to help them manage anxiety. Because I use that to manage anxiety. So I have like a lot of experience with it. Um, so that's kind of where it came, came out of was like, how can we help people get through this? And uh, I haven't really done anything official. I just get on, get on my Facebook page and <laughs> I let people know I'm going to be there and, and they can join me in the moment or they can watch it later on. It's always there for them to kind of refer back to. And uh, so far I've taught two, two different breathing techniques to help with not just anxiety, but sleeping because people aren't sleeping well either. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I imagine it is exceptionally more anxious in New York City than where I mean, I'm in a town of like 5,000 people. It's just not humongous. I could be wrong with that number, but it's just not a humongous place. And when the restaurants shut down and all you got to do is stand in line at the grocery store and they're not shut down, we still have carry out. You guys have that going on where they're allowed to cook food, you just got to carry it out. Yeah, but it's not the same. Like for me, I'm a social animal, man. I want to be out there. I want to see who I see at the barbecue place. You know, for me, eating in these restaurants is part of the experience, and I'm I'm pretty beat up, beat up by it. But I mean, but then again, I know when we go back, I'm gonna have anxiety being around anybody because you just never know. You're like, do you, do you have it? Do you have it? Like, whoa everybody still just back off and I mean I'm the leader of that bros and bras social and fitness club that's a big hug it out kind of outfit and I miss my crew bad I mean it's literally a yeah. social club and we have 24 outings a month like I mean there's a lot of things that we do and that's of course that's been shut down but it's going to be hard to justify when it's time to go back like, who makes that decision yeah, that's that's going to be the tough one. And if this and if this is kind of the new future, or if COVID is around, let's say they don't vaccine it ever, because it's possible. It's possible right. that don't they don't vaccine it ever. It, it would really make it that this is a a crazy time to live, because then you don't know who to be around. And I imagine when they do open it back up, people will have flare-ups. There'll be whole communities that have an explosion of infection all of a sudden or it spreads I'm again. sure yeah if there's not a vaccine I'm sure I'm sure we'll see it kind of bloom here and there I don't I don't know but I'll, I'll tell you one thing one thing that's changed for me I'm not I'm not someone who's like overly concerned with germs like I you know I've lived in the city I lived in Brooklyn for years and years and years and rode the subway and worked in gyms I mean talk about touching things yeah. that other people have touched. And uh, the other day we were watching a, a YouTube channel and this family had taken their kids to Disney and I'm watching their kids touch everything at Disney. And I was kind of 
freaking out. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's just covered in germs. <laughs> Stop touching it. So I think yeah. that we'll definitely, once we're allowed out, we'll have a different approach about even how we like, will touch and interact with people and things and yeah. crazy. When Jenny and I watch um, movies, the same way we're watching it going up oh, nope that, that's not ever happening again i'm not getting in an elevator with that many people again like i'm nervous for air travel but i, I like to get places fast but still i uh you know um i was watching uh die hard 2 and then opens up with christmas in a allegedly dulles airport and it was like a concert it was so jam-packed i don't know it's totally unrealistic, but I was like, never, never, never again. I just don't, I don't want to even get into it. I don't, I don't want to. Uh, and that reminds me, we forgot to talk about the fact that you think that part of your part, you and part of your family may have already had it early. Tell me about yeah, that. I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of people are saying that, so take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> but um, in early, early February, I, uh, my, my son and my husband got really, really sick. My son missed like two weeks of school. He had, he had a lingering cough, uh, for a long time. And then, uh, I was at work one day and I just, it was like, I got hit by a ton of bricks, like midday. I felt great in the morning. And then I was like, I have to go home. And I went home and my daughter was sick that same day. We both had fevers. And we were out for a week. Like she missed a week of school. I missed a week of work. And um, I think it was the following week we were on spring break and we went to Disney. <laughs> and I just know that the whole time I was there, I had, every morning I woke up with this just terrible hacking cough. But it wasn't a dry cough. So maybe, maybe not. Maybe we were just really, really sick. Who knows? And I know a lot of people who were sick in February and... I don't know, maybe we hope we already had it. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's crazy. But I mean, that it, the hardest part is not knowing. And again, yes. you're, you're in a you're in an advanced Petri dish of people just rubbing. When I would ride the train from, from Hoboken over to Manhattan, it was just so jammed up. I mean, you... You, you may not even have had room to get on the train. You're on a platform face-to-face -face with people. I didn't want to be around them anyways, but I mean, literally just so many people. Oh, it's gross. Just There's thinking no about it is just gross. Yeah. No person. Um, I think that's part of the challenge now is, like I was saying, you go into stores and people, we're just so used to not respecting each other's personal space as it is as new yorkers like i gotta get by you i'll probably hit you in the shoulder as i pass <laughs> yeah you know well cool well rita is there anything else you wanted to share about the experience of being on social distancing or quarantine uh i i think that when you choose your partner this is the new criteria choose someone that you can quarantine with for several several weeks at a time. <laughs> a very good point. That's a very good point. My, my, uh, my wife has been awesome. She has dealt with me because sometimes I can be really special. And uh, <laughs> luckily I'm essential so I can get out of her hair, but she has set up um, 
a pretty intensive office in our dining room. That's where she crushes it all day long. I'm surprised she's not on a conference call right now. But, um, well, great. So if anybody wanted to, to tune in to your, your breathing class or something like that, how would uh, somebody find you? Uh, so I think that, well, I'm teaching, I, the breathing classes aren't anything that's scheduled at this point. I just kind of throw them onto uh, my, my Facebook page right now. Okay. I do teach Kundalini twice a week at the studio at Three Elements. Um, and I can give you the, the like website for that. Um, okay. Yeah. That's so we'll do that. We'll put it in the notes. And then if uh, people are interested in following you on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, then uh, they can find you through that. I'll, I'll put those links in too, if you want they me to. They could find me there. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That would be great. Yep. Rita, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's really nice to connect with you again. Likewise. Thank you for inviting me. This has been great. Nice. I'm going to turn off the uh, recording and then we'll, uh, I'll get those links from you. Thanks again. Okay. This podcast is brought to you by City National Bank in Ransom, West Virginia. I am Melissa Knott and manage both of our Jefferson County locations. Our Charlestown location is located on George Street in Charlestown, and the Ransom location is located in the Potomac Marketplace Shopping Center. City National Bank is a full-service community bank that provides an array of financial services. We offer a range of free checking accounts and savings products for both consumer and business customers. City National Bank offers competitive low-rate and low-cost lending products for both business and personal needs. Come and talk to me or one of my team members and get products and services that are tailored to fit your schedule and help you to achieve your financial goals. I can be reached at both the Ranson and Charlestown locations. Check out our website at www.bankatcity.com. Today's intro song is called Mean in a Good Way written and performed by Peter Clark off of his album Peter Clark After Dark. Peter <laughs> Peter describes this song as being the best song to learn hula hooping to. Peter is an avid hooper and recently started a hula hoop repair business. If you ever need hula hoop repair, consider contacting Peter. You can reach him on SoundCloud. Just search Peter Clark After Dark.